Well, good evening. <clears throat> I know that on this Mother's Day, it's not like a fantastic outpouring of people, and it's probably not the topic. Is I mean, Pastor was, you know, he gets Sunday morning, and of course, Proverbs 31, and everybody feels good going out of here, and it's just, you know, kind of a nice Mother's Day thing, but kind of what I have to tell um, you tonight through this message is also... Uh, something that would bless a mother and father, because if a teen or a child has a proper view of what that looks like, then families look better, the church looks better, and ultimately Christ looks better. And it's not that we are trying to make him look better in in our own sinful uh, flesh, However, there are some mandates in Scripture of children, of, of, of young people who are underneath the authority of the mom and dad. And I'm going to try to define what that is and then give a bunch of different Scripture passages that deal with some of these things and then end with seven things that I believe are character traits that a young person, a child, uh, should, should hold on to. Uh, as truth and not give them up. And, and again, my whole premise has been in the book of Proverbs where it's said to buy truth and do not sell it. Buy it and do not sell it. And we, I think, in America, even in our churches, in our own homes, have sold truth for the sake of convenience, for what we want in our eyes, what we want in our, our homes, because it feels good or it is nice or it's something that is convenient. And I don't think that is a biblical stance. And, and so I'm going to, tonight, specifically talk to the children, the youth. And I would define that as anybody who is underneath and living in the home of a parent. And it's not that all the dependency is there. Uh, I, I recognize that Annika and Levi and Weston live under my household, and they have certain expectations and things that I would request of them, but if Annika were 21 and she was living under my house, I still would have some expectations. And I did not, yeah, Sarah's laughing, Um, I did not realize that and realize how biblical that looked until I came home the first year of college, my first semester at Christmas. I flew home and I got into my house in Phoenix and well, my parents' house, let me, let me correct that. My parents' house in Phoenix, which up until that point, it was mine. It was, it was my room and my house. And, and I went into my, what was my bedroom that I shared with my brother, and everything was changed around. It was gone, or things were missing. And I remember my dad saying something like this. Even though, you know, you're in college now, uh, there's still rules here that, that uh, there's still some things that you're going to abide by uh, here in the home. And I remember thinking, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Why? I just got done from three months of living on my own and in the dorm room there, and I didn't have anybody to answer to, and I, I thought, it's crazy. And so uh, to give you an example, I, I've told my uh, young people at school this, that my, my curfew in high school was 8.30 night. And some people are like, what? I mean, you can't even do any, you can't even go to a youth group activity and be done by either. You're right. Well, the youth group consisted of me, my sister, and my other sister. And occasionally one other person. So it could be as early as my dad wanted it. And that was it. That was it. Uh, and, and so I get home after college and, and that first semester. And I remember I, I, my best friend from, from high school called me up, and we were going to go out, and we were going to go to a Mexican restaurant called Pancho's, and we were going to eat all-you-can-eat Mexican food. We were going to go over to his house, where he was still living, and uh, we were going to watch a movie or two and just hang out. And I remember very specifically when I left, which I borrowed my dad's car, I left, he said, well, you're going to be home at 10? Uh, 10.30? What's reasonable? And I'm like... Dad, <laughs> Dad, 
come on, I'm in college, you know? I, I, I don't need rules like this. I, I said, I'll be back when I'm back. I said, I'm with Destry. You know who this is. For goodness sakes, his mom was your secretary for years. We're not going to do anything bad. We're just going to have a good time. And, and uh, he looked at me and said, uh, I don't care what you think, but 11 is the latest you're going to be out. And I, I said, okay, this isn't a hill I'm going to die on. Christmas is coming. I want some gifts. So very selfishly, <laughs> I said, sure, okay, we'll do that. But I can remember the struggle I had where it was like I wanted to leave and be my own man. And I, I was still, in a sense, underneath my parents' authority because I, had not, I hadn't made that, that clean break yet. It was, it's a mess when it's like that. And okay, we'll deal with that maybe a little bit, but my points tonight are more directed toward those who are under full-time that capacity, where mom and dad very much so are part of the development and part of the decision-making process. And as that grows, what does that person, that child, need to have in order to understand truth in God but understand authority and not just give that up. As I've asked Christian young people, and I assume they're Christian, in that I have asked them, they've given me testimony, and they are, they are believers. I asked them, what, and, and these range from junior hires all the way down to kindergartners, what is it that makes you so upset at your parents and your, your homes? And the number one reason I get is inconsistency of parents. Okay. Parents, we need to accept that we're inconsistent. We have to. Because we are. We're sinners. And we're not going to be consistent perfectly. And I asked again, okay, so what is reason number two? Well, rules. Okay, so let's, if we start to dissect every rule, we could be here for two, three years, four years, I don't know. We could be here for a long time. Okay, what about rules? Well, I can't do this and I can't do this, but they tell me to do this, but they go and do this. And it's the exact opposite of what they told me. So that kind of goes to the inconsistency thing. But rules in general, like I can't do, I can't do, I can't do. And I know pastors very quick to say, don't give a bunch of can't do's, do a bunch of you can do with all these options that are good. And that's fine. But as a kid, you really don't, you know, you still don't identify with that. So, so the second thing was just, you know, the fact that we have all these rules. The third thing that has come out is that parents just need to back off and be more of a counselor when they see something going wrong than a very in-my-face and in-my-business and looking through my drawers and, you know, making sure I have everything down, and they just need to back off. Well, as as I looked at those three things, I thought, okay, and I'm reading... Uh, again, for I think the third time, uh, uh, Ted Tripp's book, uh, Shepherding a Child's Heart. And I, 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 you know, you, you read that as a parent, you feel like you're a terrible parent because he gives all these wonderful things that you should do, and then you don't live up to any of them. And then you, uh, you as a parent, go, well, I'm, you know, I'm just going to do, try to do some of these things. And then we have the exact opposite of that. I don't know how many of you have read or looked and seen the number one bestseller out on parenting today, but it's... Uh, uh, the Minimalist Parenting. It's called Minimalist Parenting. Put out by a woman whose name is Co. Her last name is Co. She has a co-author, um, uh, and I forget her name. But if you read this, Fox News and all kinds of big you know, stations have pulled on this and said, Oh, this is fantastic. This is just what we need. Well, I have news for you, kids. Okay? The reason that this author has put Minimalist Parenting into an actual book where people are buying it off the shelves is because you haven't taken the responsibility of doing what God has said to be under his authority and under the family structure, what a godly child looks like. And there's, a, there's mandates in here in Scripture for what godly children look like. And to the degree that parents get frustrated with, with kids saying, they just aren't paying attention. They're not, they're not listening to preaching. They're just walking away from church. And we can read... All the, all the statistics out there, which there are plenty of statistics and statistical books, it still comes down to whether or not families are understood completely. And if family, mom and dad and parent, is understood completely, 
That means that it doesn't just end there. Kids have to understand that they have a specific role as well. And all of you young people in here, this is for you. I want you to listen to truth. This is God's truth to you. It is not mine. I would much rather put a PowerPoint up here and talk about how you can be a better kid without sassing back, without, you know, having attitude problems in a five-step plan so that home life can be better and you can have all those privileges that you want. But that is not in Scripture. There is nothing in there about that. Let me tell you what it is. First, I'm going to define what a child is defined as by our definitions of today. So child, or if it's plural, obviously children, um, is defined. There's five different ways I, I really looked at this. And, and uh, number one, there's kind of a, a, an A and B here. Uh, a person between birth and puberty. So you got an infant to a person who is just in the teenage years. And however you define that, be a person who has not attained maturity or the age of legal majority. In other words, you can't, you're not, you're not recognized in your, in your citizenship, in, in your area, as an adult. And so for us, we would say probably 18, maybe, or 21, depending on, you know, which one you look at as more responsible. So, so maybe in that defined box, there's a child. Secondly, we can, we can look at a child and say, well, that's more specific. It's, it's, it's talking about, defined as, an unborn infant or a fetus. Or maybe we would say just an infant or a baby. Uh, a fourth definition would specifically cite a son or daughter. So, you know, an offspring. Fifthly, if you look at it maybe in a, in a sense of tribal uh, culture, a member of a tribe or a descendant. Uh, they give in, in is interesting in some of the dictionaries I looked at. Uh, one of the one of the addendums here was that it was a child of Abraham. Interesting, they made that analogy uh, to a biblical person, man. Uh, but yet, maybe that's what it is. Well, kids, in order to figure out where you fit into this whole role, I think you have to understand what a biblical family looks like. Because you wouldn't be a child if you didn't have parents. If we were all just put on this earth and we were just individuals, we wouldn't have the structure that God laid out. And by the way, the family is God's institution. It is his institution, and so therefore there's organization of it. So we have to figure out what that is. And if we don't know from top down what that looks like, how are we supposed to function in a biblical way with that? So, definition of a family, and there's several out there. I, I selected a, a broad-ranging one just to kind of put it out there. But a group of persons united by ties of marriage, blood, or adoption, enabling interaction between members of the household in their respective social roles. God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. Now, that could be argued today because what are we seeing? Well, the last time I preached, I showed you two videos. One was of a bunch of interview, uh, interviews that were done on NBC on Parenthood, the, fa- the uh, show Parenthood, where they were kind of defining the family and kind of what it was and what it is now. And if you were like me, you were disgusted at that because even, even in listening to those, uh, those cameos or interviews, it was kind of like, you know, well, family is, uh, it's, it's changed from what it was to what it is now. And we accept that as a society, as if that is true. Well, kids, would you accept that, that you're going to change, you're going to be different than your your parents? You probably will. You probably will be. But there's, in Deuteronomy, there's an idea here that uh, generation after generation after generation of godly people was absolutely fundamental. And we should not neglect that. As I read an article produced by a Christian author uh, who was talking about the dynamics of family and what they look like as far as today is concerned in our, in our churches, uh, one of the things that was cited was this. Uh, he said that uh, kids today do not want to be like their parents. In fact, they think what their parents have done in raising and all those things is actually so much so that they would call it wrong. Well, you've probably said, I don't want to end up like my mom. I don't want to end up like my dad. And then when you get older, it's like spit and image, right? I mean, everything that comes out of your mouth is exactly like your mom or your dad. 
May I suggest to you that that is okay in a, in a, if it's based on a biblical truth. What is wrong to say, and it is a non-truth, is for a kid to believe. So if Levi, you say to me, Dad, I never want to be like you, and I will not parent like you, I will not discipline like you, I will not you know, uh, be churched like you, you have to understand that you're going to go against God's word and his design for this. I'm going to read a group, a whole bunch of verses here from the Old Testament, spending in the New Testament, that deal specifically with children. And then I'm going to give you the seven things that I believe uh, a child of God uh, needs to have as far as truth. And again, buy it. Don't sell it. If you're going to be a biblical and an honoring child under God, these are the things you need to know. And I've just scratched the surface. Exodus 20, of course, in the law. Moses comes down in verse 12. It reads this, honor your father and your mother. And this is uh, Exodus 20, 12, okay? If you want to turn there, turn to all these, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and the Lord your God, that the Lord your God is giving you. That would seem straightforward. And by the way, this is, this is a commandment in the Old Testament that Moses brought down here specifically for a child. Well, what does that mean? When does that end? Where does, what, what does it mean to honor my father and mother? Get to that in a little bit. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 16. Almost a spitting image of this. Where it says, honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's almost a direct repeat of this. In Deuteronomy 27, 16, there's the idea of cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother. You see a pattern here in these verses, kind of some parallels about honoring or dishonor, curses or blessing, based on one thing, honor. Obey. Honoring my father and my mother. Proverbs 15.20 gets into maybe a little bit of a different avenue of what a child biblically should do. A wise son makes his father, or makes, makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Okay, so a wise son makes a, fa- a glad father. Well, great. What does that mean for me? Well, you can deduce that if you are making your father glad or happy or rejoicing in you, you're wise, which means that you're not doing the things that everybody else is doing in the world. You're not contributing to just idleness or materialism or just downtime out there. You're not throwing all of your time away with reading things that don't, don't belong in your mind or watching things that don't belong in your mind. You're putting yourself into into, underneath your family, into a biblical pattern that will eventually be reciprocated, hopefully one day when you have a kid. Proverbs 23, 22 and 25 says, Listen to your fathers who gave you life, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. I'm reminded of this in a little note that I have here that uh, many of you probably remember the, uh, the man who used to interview uh, the little kids. Uh, give me his name. I'm, his, I'm blanking on it. What's his name? Oh, yeah, Art Linkletter, okay? And hilarious interviews, right? He would ask him a question and kids would tell all about parents. And just the way they phrase things is hilarious. And, and that, that's, you know, it's funny and it's amusing and whatever, but, you know, very much so telling. I can remember uh, Annika or Levi, who was it? Annika or Levi, or maybe it was Weston, uh, in Sunday school class one time asked Mrs. Dank to pray for uh, her parents so that, uh, the, uh, that we wouldn't be arrested again. I've never been arrested. I don't know where it came from. I don't know what he was talking about. We kind of had, it was Levi? Thanks a lot, Levi. Scar on our character. I don't know what he was talking about. It's just innocence of of little baby mouths. Okay. And I remember also hearing, and and so you have Art Linkletter and you have the, you know, Bill Cosby's of this world who I think said something like this. I I have brought you into this world and I will take you right back out or something like that. And maybe it wasn't him who came up with that, that statement. But think about this. Proverbs goes directly against some of those, those ideas where you're to listen to your father who gave you life. 
And you're not to despise your mother when she is old. You're to let your father and mother be happy or glad or, or be blessed because of what you are doing as a child. Proverbs thirty seventeen: The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens in the valley and eaten by vultures. Proverbs 1.8, we know this one, Hear my son, your father's instruction, forsake not your mother's teaching. All of these verses imply an action or a character trait to you as young people. And so you think, well, that means I have to do a lot of work. This takes a lot of effort and a lot of time. You're right. Guess what? You start doing all these things, you're not going to have time for anything else. You won't have time to mess around. Proverbs 6.20, my son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching. And of course we would go to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, and I'm going to make some comments about this later. But children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And then Paul quotes Deuteronomy, and he says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, so say nurture and admonition, discipline and instruction, of the Lord. Matthew chapter 19, 13 through 14 says, Then the children were brought to him, that he may lay hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. There's a simple innocence that is, is also part of being a child. And, and you don't have to be afraid of losing that. It's okay to be ignorant of some things in this world. And unfortunately, the age of uh, seemingly innocence of the ears and the eyes just seems to keep notching downward. Where it once was maybe a teen knowing some rotten things now seems to be right into our elementary schools. And even as babies, some are some completely exposed to horrific things that ought not to even be seen or heard, but it's there. Let me give you seven character traits, kids, that I I believe that are biblical in this. And I've spoke of the first one, and I I think the first one, because it is put into uh, the Ten Commandments in the law, I think it's important, and I I think we see this in, in Deuteronomy 5 and Exodus 20, to honor your father and mother. How do you honor your father and mother? If I were to ask you that today, what would you say to me, kids? What would you say? How do I honor my father and mother? Some would say, well, I tell mom she looks nice. I took out the trash because dad asked me to take it out. I obeyed them. But honor has way more volume to it than just facial or superficial obedience. Honor is, I'm going to do everything I want to do, but I'm going to keep my interests of my parents in the forefront before anything I do. As a kid, how many of you would do that? How many of you did that? What was your, was your, your first impulse to get up in the morning and start chores because you knew that mom and dad were going to have a heavy day and so you went out and just did them yourself? That, that's, that's what it was, right? Or was it something like happened in my home where you're sleeping, and it's a Saturday morning, and of course, we sleep till 9 or 10 on Saturdays because that's what we do. And so, Dad's up at 7 because he can't sleep. And so, he comes in, and he's pulling the covers back, and he's saying, get up, get up. And I can remember my dad. He did this thing called bing bong, and it was bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. It's time to get up. It's time to get up. Bing bong, bing bong. And then he would do evil things like torture where he would just tug at the covers and start to Pull them off your body so, you know, they're up over your head and then they, you know, just... And so you can feel the cold and steps coming down. And that just made me want to jump out and be like, Dad, I want to honor you. I'm going to do everything you asked me to do today. And I am, I'm going to be right there for you, man. Because of Exodus 20, it's in my mind right now. I'm just going to honor you. Generally speaking, we find our kids giving them a direction, and three times later, giving them the same direction, we wonder why they're not obeying. Partly it's because of parents' discipline. But I am not willing, okay, hear me carefully, I am not willing to put all of the blame onto the parent because at some point, 
kids have to own up to the responsibilities. That may seem harsh. Like, what are you saying, Shafe? That's impossible. Kids can't do it today. Yes, they can. They can. And it's not because I'm forcing my kids to do this. I see it as a biblical principle. I see it as truth. If I am not willing to believe this, that honor is possible, not even possible, imperative of a kid, and I don't require it and they don't do it, I'm walking them right down the path of the open gate, ready for them to do whatever they want with their lives without me having a string to hold them because I can't. I can't. Honor is important. It's deeply important. And to get a full view of honor, I think we look at the example that Christ had when he came and ministered here as a a man. You read John, and you read the Gospels, and you read the accounts of the crucifixions, and every single time he's confronted with that, a question of, why are you here? And he's, I'm here to do the will of my Father. What if Levi came and said at school to one of his teachers, I'm here to sit in this desk, Mrs. Leeds, to do the will of my Father. I don't care what you teach me today, I'm to do the will of my Father. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this trash out before my dad asks me to do that, or mow the lawn, or I'm going to do the dishes, or I'm going to do some ridiculous chore, because I want to do the will of my Father. Where do we see the example? Christ. It was Jesus that gave us this example. We don't have an ability to say, no, honor, yeah, not today. It's, not, it's just not happening today. Respect's not happening today. One of the funniest things I've ever heard on the radio, I listen to KFIZ on my one-mile ride from to, to school. So I, get this, I either get a full blank of commercials or a little bit of snippet of news. I usually get the commercials. And the commercials are this, the one that, that drives me the most nuts, where I want to rear-end somebody just because I'm mad. They have this behavior system out there that they will give you for free. You can have this behavior system, and in three weeks, four weeks, you will see major differences in results in your child's behavior, and they will start to, to, to respect you because of this curriculum that they give. And the only thing they require is that you turn around and, and you give a review on this, on this thing. So I ordered it. I, I called them up, and I said, yeah, I'll take it. It's trash. It's so trash. What, what the, the premise is this. Um, just first, first step is this. Step back. Like, what? Step back from what? Confrontation, truth, love, discipline? Don't read that here. Step back for what? Step back because the emotional tendency or... Uh, the, the ruin that you could be doing to the child and not letting them understand where you're at and, and weaving the, um, I forget the terminology they use, but weaving the, um, the, the uh, healing back in your family and your relationship, you must take a step back. Okay, so God, when he gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, and he said, honor your father and mother in specific design of a child, saying that to them, underneath the structure of a family. He didn't get that little commercial, obviously. He didn't, he didn't hear that. He didn't, he didn't, God just didn't tune into the AM 140, uh, 1040, and, you know, KFIZ. He just didn't get that. And so if we, if we allow ourselves to get into these other ideas of where we're going to be able to manipulate our kids' behavior or trying to get them to honor and respect us through some other source of manipulation, and it's not God's word, what we're, what we're doing is we're setting up for what Deuteronomy 6 says not to do, and that is to teach a generation not to love God and not to honor Do we want that in our churches, in our families, in our lives? No. No. And a multiple no to that. No way. But yet, here we are. Levi, pick up your shoes. Levi, I told you to pick your shoes up. Levi, I'm going to tell you one more time to pick your shoes up. Is he honoring me? That's not even the worst of it. I've taught him that 
He's got three chances in life not to honor God before God does something. That's not the pattern we're to believe. The second idea of a biblical uh, character trait of being a child, first is honoring. Second is uh, contributing or contribution. Be a contributor. I take you to Luke chapter 15. And I know I didn't read this, but Luke chapter 15, we have the uh, prodigal son and the story of, of this. And what I want to, and I'm not going to read part of this, but I, what I want to um, demonstrate to you is the opposite of being a contributor. If you are a leech as a child, which, granted, parents are there to supply your needs, okay? Not your wants. You are in your mom and dad's house because you need a place to stay. And if you didn't have that, you wouldn't have a place to stay or a bed to have or food to eat. So needs based. Look at what the opposite of a contributor was. Notice what he says in verse 11. And he said, there was a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, forgive me. Or excuse me, uh, forgive me. Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me, and divide his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took the journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and all he had and took, a, excuse me, uh, with reckless living. And then, and, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country. Began He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the field to feed pigs, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. You want to know what the opposite of being a contributor in your home is? To be a leech and selfish. The first thing that comes out of your mouth, kids, is, I don't have that. Where's my lunch? Why do I have to do that? That's not a biblical approach at all. A contributor says... Dad and Mom, thank you for the home. Thank you for the bed last night, the pillow, the covers, the heat that we have to use in May. I'm not bitter. Thank you for the food that's in the the cupboard, even the Cheetos that I like that you bought specifically for me, and all the other stuff that's in the freezer that, I mean, not many people have, but we do. Thank you for providing. And you know what? Because of that, I'm going to contribute. I'm going to help in preparing. I'm going to help in around the house so that your life and job gets easier in the home and so that I can show you my appreciation. And I'm not going to be selfish about this. And if somebody in our family needs something, they can have mine. If we just put the first two out there and looked at society with honor and contribution, with the screen of what society is today, how are we doing? It's hilarious how bad we're doing. It's atrocious and disgusting because our kids do not know how to live in truth with these character traits and do them well. How are we going to train the next generation? If we keep training them the way we are now, three chances to, to obey. We don't really mind their disrespect, and so we're not going to do anything about it because I'm just not going to deal with that right now. I don't, I don't care for them to go over to anybody's house. They're going to stay here, and you know what? If they don't like it, fine. Too bad. Are we honoring as kids? Are we contributing as kids? How about respect? Look at Proverbs again, and I want to take you back to Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20. It says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. And I I could have chosen a myriad of Proverbs here, and, and I'm just giving you a few to make my point, okay? A wise son makes his father glad. And if we're dealing with respect, if we're dealing with something that you owe your parents, but don't even owe them, that is mandated of you, you have to, you have to accept this. Proverbs 20 to 23 again. Listen to your father who gave you life and don't despise your mother when she's old. One of the worst insults you can have as a parent is your kid not respecting you. That is one of the worst things that could ever happen to you as a parent. And yet it happens today all the time. So much so that we're numb to it. So much so that, yeah, they're just going to have to, and, and here's, the, here's the phrase, they're just going to have to learn on their own. 
That's true. They are going to have to learn on their own. But something was missing. Way before they had to learn on their own. Way before they had to learn on their own. And it was this biblical truth. Respect is mandated of a parent. And the degree that we don't uh, require that or have that pillar in our family, we don't show ourselves as a biblical family nor as a biblical husband and wife or individually. And again, we're selling truth. We're selling truth because that's not what the modern family looks like today. If if we're going to be an NBC 26 parenthood type family, it's okay if our daughter takes off with a guy who's, you know, a little bit older and goes to prom and gets a hotel room. That's normal. Maybe it's okay that grandma comes in and tries to teach my kid how to pray, but whoa, 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 whoa. We can't do that because, hey, listen, we're going to let Junior find his religion on his own because he deserves that. Where is that in Scripture? Where is that? Proverbs thirty seventeen: the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by vultures. You disobey, you disrespect, you dishonor your parents because you don't have a biblical view of what your parent is to you and what that means under God. Fourth, learning. And again, I go to Proverbs. If you go to Proverbs 1.8, obviously Proverbs 1.8, uh, to, I preached over that just a few months ago and said, Hear my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. To sit and learn from your mom and dad. They have years on you. They know the ins and outs of the world. Maybe not quite like the one you're going to grow in, but it's the same. The only thing that's different is we're more sinful. <laughs> that's it. So listen to, my, listen to listen, my son, hear my son, your father's instruction, and don't forsake your mother's teaching. Which means then that a child should be one that desires to learn. So mom takes you to the library in the summertime. And I remember I had to go to the library in the summertime. And I was on vacation with my mom and dad. And we were in Dayton, Ohio, visiting my aunt and uncle. And my mom said, we're going to the library. And I remember pitching a royal fit. Yelling and screaming, doing whatever I could to not go to the library. Because if I went to the library, that would mean I had to get a book. If I had to get a book... I can guarantee you that my mom was going to sit right next to me and she was going to make me read it. And it was summertime. What's with that? That's my time, right? As a kid, it's time to go out and play on a bike, kill rabbits with BB guns, whatever, you know. That's my time. The biblical mandate for a child is to be one of learning. I'm going to sit at the feet of my parents and I'm going to learn. Where's that in your, your family today, eh? Does that happen every night? You go home, you sit down on the couch. TV's not on, of course, because as a family, you're doing, you know, your, your, your fair share of, of making it a home where this is uh, compatible. And your kids get their jammies on, brush their teeth, get ready for bed, and they come and sit right in front of you and say, Father, patriarch, leader of our home, dispel your wisdom. Just give it to us. Wonderful oration. We will sit at your feet and we will learn. We want to learn. Generally, it's how fast can I get to my room and do my thing, whether it's a video game or a book or something, other than learning from your parent. Kids, God says to learn from your mom and dad. about maintaining a legacy? Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll have you turn there. Number 5, maintaining a legacy. And, and again, I want to go back to my earlier comment of the article I read where today, kids today say, I'm not going to do anything like my parents because I think it's wrong. It's not, it's not even in my, it's not even my uh, visual to have, in, in my future, to, to, to have done things exactly how my parents have done it because, after all, the world is changing so quickly and I, I've got to keep up with the times Now, let me read to you what it was like in the Old Testament. I'm going to give you two passages. This one in Deuteronomy I'm going to read, and the one I preached over um, last 
time I preach in Joshua 23 and 24, where Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We see what God has done. We see this, okay? Let's look at, in chapter 6 here. And, and again, this is familiar territory, but it remains to be seen that kids need to understand that they're building a legacy today, not once they get married. It doesn't start when they get married or start when they get out of the house. It starts today, now, underneath the parents. He says this, and now this is the command, the statutes, the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. Generations here. And it was important that the generations were told of what God said and what he did and how he was faithful so that the son's son would see the exact same thing. How do you do that with changing all of the rules as far as parenting is concerned? You can't. You can't give that kind of, of information generationally without it being in a, in a context like this to maintain a legacy. I see two things in Deuteronomy 6, and I'm not going to read the whole passage because I don't have time. The two things, there's gener- uh, one is that generational learning is biblical. To, to know what your parents did, right and wrongs, and to do the best you can to imitate and do what's right. I have taught in Bible class all the way through the minor prophets this year, and it has been absolutely depressing. I have to be honest with you. Because I've taken the, taken the approach that every day I am going to tell these kids that Judah or Israel or whoever God was dealing with at that time wasn't doing what they were supposed to be doing and that God was going to judge them for it. And when he judges them for it, he's going to leave a remnant. And I keep asking, are you the remnant? Are you the people who are just going to say, yes, I'm going to obey even in the hard times? Even though there's materialism and idolatry and all kinds of ridiculousness all around me, am I going to be the one that is going to live this way generationally? Or are you going to be the one that's going to let things go? Let me give an example here where I have, I think I've used this in the past, but I'm going to take three chairs here. And as I take three chairs, the three chairs are going to represent three generations of individuals. And my dad showed this to me one time when I was having one of my maybe more immature moments as a youth. I was a teenager in high school, and uh, he, was, he was mildly upset at me because I had told my mom that she meant nothing to me and that she really didn't do anything to help me. Yeah, I, I told my mom that. I remember I was getting out of the minivan, and... Um, uh, the impetus was she slammed my finger in the door um, because I was hopping over everybody to get out because I wanted to play basketball in our front yard. And so I grabbed this. My mom shut the door, and I got upset, and I told her, you know, these things, which I is totally the worst thing to say on Mother's Day. But um, I have since retracted all of that and have grown. So my dad, with a, a f- so many words, told me, to come inside, and uh, we were going to have a chat and then a little session afterwards to uh, make sure that chat s- stayed with me. Um, and he, he brought me inside, and he took the three counter chairs, and he said, he said, this generation loves God. They honor God. They want to seek God. They want to live a legacy towards God. And this is who I want to be. And this is who our family is going to be. He said, and you're here. You get a choice. You can lean on me right now and, and choose to obey those things. And, and as you lean on me, I, at some point, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away, and you will tip back up and be that individual. But for right now, you have to trust me that I am trusting in God, and you're going to do this because it is mandated by God. Let's say that you never stand on your two feet. You never go back to upright and you just stay here. And let's say that you have a son, which is now Levi and Weston. And they never see you stand on your two feet biblically and, and generationally passing on the gospel and really you know, seeing truth. 
They don't see. They don't see you reading your Bible in the morning or any time. They don't see you preaching. They don't see you, you know, loving God at any point. Or if it is, it's just casual. And this generation right here, even though they want to lean, they do. They fall over. Or it could be the exact opposite. They don't see to go to a tendency of anything biblical, and they, they don't see any reason why. Then, so maybe they, they just tip this way. And then he said, what are you going to do when you're presented with the fact that you have to stand on your own two feet before God and answer for your attitudes and actions in our house? I'm not talking about the rest of your life, son, in our house. And he said, I want you to sit right here and consider that. So I did. I sat there for a long time. And as I sat in that chair, initially I was like, this is so stupid. Why am I doing this? He just used three chairs and tipped them on each other, and it doesn't mean anything. It means everything to me today. Because now I'm here. I'm saying I'm on two feet. I'm requiring my kids, just like he required me, to see God's truth and to see God for who he is. I wonder how many of us have taken a position in these chairs and whether first, second, third generational Christians or whether there's nothing there or you've got a, a line of Christians. Great. A generation, I, I believe it's biblical that generational learning is biblical. Secondly, godly heritage is learned as a child. It's not learned as an adult. This, this reading here was not given just to the elders who were the high patriarchs of Israel. It was read to everybody. Every single kid was to hear that God is the one true God and that He was the Lord of all. And this is what He's done and this is what He did for us and this is who He is. So that, that was heard constantly. And I believe, as the fifth one here, maintaining a legacy, children, kids, youth, you build your legacy starting when you were born. And if you don't add to that constantly, I don't think you're living a biblical childhood. Attitude is the next one. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to reference verses 1 and 2. Let me go to Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. And of course, that was the quote from Deuteronomy. The first part, I think this is broken down in two ways as well. The first part, verse 1, speaks of action. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Okay? You hear that all the time. Obey me, please. Obey, obey. The second, with honoring, speaks of attitude. So if you have a proper attitude and action in your home, guess what? The things that your parents are going to ask you, you're already going to know and you're going to do anyway. The things that you can anticipate as far as being a trouble spot in your home, you, you'll know how to deal with this with your attitude. And so part of attitude is action, but it's also the fact that your inner soul, your, your soul is connected with Christ. Seventh, as I close here, discipline. Be a disciplined person. We go to Hebrews chapter 5. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 5, or excuse me, 12. No. Is it 5? No, it's 12. I wrote down the wrong, wrong verse. It's Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, starting in verse 3. 12-3. Let me go there. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And he says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son who he receives. You think, well, how, how is being a disciplined or, or uh, being a disciplined person as a child, how is that contributing to being a godly child? Well, being disciplined and organized is one thing, but receiving rebukes and discipline when you're wrong in a right way is a, is a biblical attitude, a biblical action. I think a very, very strong character trait that's taught. Look at verse 7. It says, for it is, it is for discipline 
that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who discipline us, and we respected them. Notice the two things that are combined there. Discipline equals respect. Today's society says discipline equals hatred and space between, you know, kid and family. That's what, that's what the stuff I got from the KFIZ thing. It says don't discipline. Just talk to. Don't, don't give hard lines. Let the kid fill, you know, fill it on himself. Figure it out on himself. Trip on himself. This isn't exactly what we see here. We see that discipline, even our earthly fathers, so my dad and me as uh, Levi and Weston, fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they discipline us for short times, it seemed the best of them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. It's attributed to holiness. As a kid, if you're going to live biblically and you want to be holy, you better accept that discipline as good discipline, as what your father wants. And it's from the heavenly father. It goes on, for a moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but rather, or later, it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. I think discipline's is fleshed out in two ways as well. And I can go to Job 5.17, Proverbs 3.11. I've got a bunch of verses here. Two ways. Discipline is a way a parent can show love. If you do not discipline your child, you do not love your child. That's God's word speaking. You just don't love them. You may love them in the fact that they want, you want them to be your friend and to respect and love you, but you don't love their soul. You don't love their character and what that is building. There's a big difference there, too. Discipline is how God shows love to us. Honor, to contribute, to respect, to learn, to maintain a legacy, or as I've put it in other, other fashions, build a legacy. Attitude and discipline. If you did all seven of those every day, kids, what time would you have to do anything else? Okay, so it's not just for the little kids, it's for the big kids. If we did all seven of those every day, what time would we have to serve ourselves other than God?